and two little arrows jump out of, out of a window, try to give up, see, and uh, opposite all the boys with the guns, and they shot him. All his brain was in my shoulder. I was very upset there because they could have shot me, see. This is Cold War Conversations. In the early hours of the morning, Soviet troops have started an attack against the Hungarian capital with the apparent purpose of overthrowing the local democratic government of the country. Our troops are engaged in battle with the Soviet forces. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Charlie was 17 in 1956. A trip home from work by tram ended up with him being thrust into the heart of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956, a nationwide revolution against the Hungarian People's Republic and its Soviet-imposed policies. I'm in conversation with Charlie and his daughter Angela as Charlie describes how he and his friends attacked the communist-held Budapest radio station and graphically details his experiences and what he saw during those momentous days. He also recalls his escape from Hungary and his later life in Wales as well as his return to the country of his birth while it was still within the Warsaw Pact orbit. I do really need your help to allow me to find the time to continue producing and preserving these Cold War stories. All I'm asking is for listeners to pledge a monthly donation of at least $4, £3 or €3 a month to help keep the podcast on the air, although larger amounts are welcome too. It's dead easy and you can cancel at any time. As a thank you, you will get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster and you will bask in the warm glow of knowing that you are helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. I'm delighted to welcome Charlie and Angela to our Cold War Conversation. Oh, I was born in the lowland in Hungary in 1937. By Debrecen, Hajdu, And what work did your parents do? Oh, uh, the farmers. What What was their view of the uh, the you know the Hungarian government after the war? Uh, not very good because we have been deported from the from the land because uh, those days uh, you know the richest people have been deported all over the country. Not Siberia or anywhere, but one place to another, you know. So that was a, was that around like collectivization? That's that, that, you're right. You're called correct. You're correct. Right. Okay. What was your your childhood like? Was it a was it a good childhood? Well, it, it was it was great. Great, you know. I mean, it's uh, I can't complain because uh, up to uh, we, we was quite well off, you know. There's no. Uh, problem at all we was and when we when i went to 70 16 17 when we 
we have been uh, left a little town where, where our farm was, because they call it Tivla. We went to just outside Budapest, in the commuter belt of Budapest. This wasn't part at all. Right, yeah, because I was going to ask you how, how you ended up in, in, in Budapest. So you, you're living on the outskirts. What, what was your job in 1956? What were you working as? Apprentice engineering. Okay, apprentice engineer. And on the 23rd of October, you're on a tram, I understand. Oh, I was, yeah. Coming home from work. Right. So tell me, tell me about that, that, that journey back from work and what happened on that day. Well, i tell you what, because, uh, because the young wasn't political-minded. Take free tram to take home because it was... Get up a first tram, as a big lorry was there, which was full of machine guns. Unbelievable it was. And everybody come on as a revolution, and everybody had a guns, machine gun. We gone to the radio station to take a radio station up. So I said, uh, it, it was news to me, you know. I mean, I know it was a bit of a, a students was demonstrating, but I would never take any notice, you know. I mean, uh, I was only 18 or something, you know. So, and I ended up in the radio station. Took us uh, uh, all night after all night before we, we break into the radio station and take it over, where the security police was in the I was in the radio station. And it was fighting there for all night. Yeah. Right. And had had you ever handled a submachine gun before? Yes, yes. I mean, we've been, we've been when we were young, we were treating guns, really, and washing guns. You know, in... Uh, or the territorial things, everybody have to, everybody got to have a uniform there. Even apprentices got to have uniform and training and parachuting and whatever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. You went to attack the radio stations. So the, the AVH were... In there. Um, and when, when you approached, were they, I presume they were firing at you. Actually, they wasn't firing because it was so many so so many of us opposite and things. They was afraid to fire out, but they they wasn't let us into the. It was a big iron gate. So, but they wasn't firing. They, they was afraid to fire him because they know that there's nobody helping them because the Russians has gone out. So uh, by the morning they have. Uh, Try to give up, and all as I said to my daughter, I said, I was standing by the big gate, big gate, iron gate, and, and two disavows jump out, try to, out of a window, try to give up, see, and uh, opposite all the boys with the guns, and they shot him. All his brain was in my shoulder. I was very upset there because he could have shot me, see. But uh, because I was in between, so in the end, uh, it's, uh, it's the big gate opened and we all got in. I was one of the first to push in the damn thing, you know, I mean, but they, all I was gone. I think they gone through the roof or something. I see a couple of them dead in there, but uh, that's why I didn't commit suicide. But I, I don't really know, but it, it was empty, but... 
I, I think they're going to escape through the roof, but I don't know. I'm just surmising, but that's what it was. Because the, the RVO were particularly hated, weren't they? Hate were, yes. I've I seen it. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it in uh, when he got the arvos, they, they hung him and, you know, <laughs> they, 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 no mercy for the arvos. It was, it was a, a lot of them died. Yeah, I saw. Uh, I think I, I saw some photos around the the attack on the Parliament Building, where um, some of them were thrown from the rooftop and yeah, shot outside. And yeah, uh, most of it it was in I don't know, Kastashushak Subachak Square, when a, a pa- political party headquarters was. That was the worst for them. Oh, they, they, I wasn't there actually when they, but, but people have gone in there and dragged them out and they, oh, they was sort of a, if you see it and I got papers, you see it, oh, they've been hanging by the, the legs and things like that. It was cruel. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've seen those photos and they are particularly um, shocking. So, so when you, capture the radio station with your your fellow revolutionaries how yeah. how did you feel at that time oh good yeah. <laughs> good because we was free then you know we went to uh, after that one was after the tour uh, we went to the, the cinema was there called a Corwin cinema that's where we have uh, stayed for two nights and days and uh, after that believe it or not I walked home and that was about, I would have say about, oh, I don't know, over 20 miles. I just followed the tram route because it wasn't tram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what what were the scenes like around the Corvin Cinema? Because I believe that the, the Killian Barracks was also in that vicinity. We had a gun there, ordinary gun, and every time a, a tongue's passed, Easy to shoot out, like shooting turkeys. <laughs> yeah, but man, that was a big, uh, big fight was in the Corvin. You know, it took. But after that, a Russian gone out and it was, wasn't any. Russians gone out after, you see. That's right. So so the, the, the Russians withdrew. And so did you, did you believe at that point that you'd won freedom? I do <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I only was eighteen. You know, I mean, I can't. Uh, you know, I can't. Uh, and uh, I, I know that we was free. Everything was open, and you know, uh, and uh, people were start t- taking revenge and whatever it is. But not till uh, till when they come back in the fourth of in the fourth of November, isn't it? But uh, but then I was home in the house, but. Uh, we went in there, the tram was running for a bit, we went in there, but the Russian was coming in with tongues. So we can't do against, mind, they lost a lot of tongues there, but can't do against that much, against much of tanks, you see. Not with, not with machine guns and uh, <laughs> getting hit. No, no. So were, were you involved in the in the fighting on the on the 4th of November? No, I wasn't involved because it wasn't organized fight that and not before. It was just group fighting and fighting. And 
It wasn't an, anybody to give you orders or something. So we just got home to to uh, Turukbalint and outside Buddha. Buddha, I took in the world. But I seen it. I seen it uh, fighting, you know, in uh, radio and heard. But it was a heavy fighting. But I wasn't in it then. No, only the first fighting I was in. Right, right. And and in in that in that first fighting, you know, did did you actually fire your weapon during that, or was it just other people? Oh, oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> oh yes. Fired it many times. I fired in the radio station. I fired in the Corwin cinema. You have to, you know, you have to. You either kill or you get killed, you know. It's no, no, what you call no talking yeah, about it. No, understood. I mean, it's difficult for people nowadays to, to sort of imagine the situation you were in. So, you know, I'm interested to hear how you've. I mean, how how did you feel about you know because if if you're firing a machine gun, you you know you're hurting people or, or killing people how did you feel about that well let's that's, that's say that uh, we, we have to do it and just follow the follow the your friends and the crowd we have we have to do it you know it's uh, it's not nothing about it you know you've got to do it yeah. and that's it yeah because the the i believe the in on that first day as well the hungarian army some of them joined the revolution Oh yes, it did. It did. I remember when when we were radio station. See, it's a Hungarian officer. Hung, how we call it? Like uh, Sandhurst in Hungarian. These uh, boys was coming in. You know, Hungarian. You know, cadet, cadet. And I know one of them because we were school together and. <laughs> I told him, I said, I tell him, what are, you, what are you doing here? He said, we, we come to help uh, that Arvo. I said, you don't even say that because you'll be all shot. And all of a sudden, they all got off for glory and they, they just disappeared. Right. <laughs> I mean, because they was communist. They don't want to, you know, but they just disappeared. I told him, I said, don't even say things like that because they, they, you shot you in a minute. But I tell you, a tanks come there. I don't know where come the Hungarian tanks, and uh, it's supposed to shoot in us. But they was just standing there, stopped the engine, and nobody come out. They was standing there for all night, all day, don't done anything. Just people were sitting in the tank and they can't move. They tried to knock him, coming out, no. And then they gone somewhere. I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, because I I've seen photos of. Um one of the officers who came over to the the revolution uh pal malata malat malatev malatev yes yeah a big tall fella yeah he's huge i couldn't believe how, yeah. how tall he was <laughs> or oh, they hanged him or oh, you know it was they went to talk to the russians before russian come out and they not all the kadara prime minister had hanged him Sure, he shouldn't have gone to talk to Russian because you can't trust him. You see. So when you know after the the capture of the radio station, you know you're, you're over at the Corvin Cinema. Yeah. Are you, are you, you know, with your friends? Are you talking about what Hungary should be like in the future? You know how, how things should be. You see, <laughs> actually, we won't because I mean, 
we, we was too young for that. We was we was just we we, we said what well, I it would be better. It would be free because we wasn't all, all that free. We we couldn't say what we want. You know, I mean, it's, it was ruled by the government, but. For, it wasn't all that bad for us, you know, but for older people, you know, the workers and these was they was pushed down. You see, well, it was, it was, I just end of apprenticeship, so I. But in the end, uh, in the end, we we, we said that uh, we have to do it, have to do it. But after no, November fourth, we know we lost because nobody else coming to help us anyway. So. Not against the Russian, but all those Mongolians coming in. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So when when you when you you walked all that distance back back to your home, presumably where your parents live, this was. Yeah. yeah. When you you met them, presumably they were worried that you'd been killed. Oh, they <laughs> yeah. They don't know about three days, three nights. You know, they were glad to see me anyway. Yeah, because a lot of people died on the first. Um, People was dying all over the place. All you see, dead bodies. But a revenge killing as well, you see. You see the policemen in the... I mean, perhaps they don't help, but they have a lot of policemen on the road. Dead, I don't know. Did you know that your account with Amazon can help me get new guests on the show? Just search for Cold War Conversations on Amazon and leave a review for the podcast. Thank you. So any anybody who had any association with the regime was a target. Oh, that's was that's was a target, you know, and it's a, and it's a lot of them. So my only the part part uh, you know the part people, you know, but, uh, you know what you say the commissars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you did you take your machine gun home with you? No. No, I won't road carry it all the way back. I mean, left it in the corner. In the Corvin. It's, you know, it's a, one of the young boy was living around there. He said, he said he wanted it. So I said, you can have it. Because if I was taken home, I could be shot by some RVs or somebody else in the, walking in that tram line home because it's, I have to go to forest as well, you see, when I walk to the tram line. Right. So the Soviets come back on on the fourth of November. What what do you hear or or see that day? Oh well, like, oh they was started shooting every. The started anybody moved in the windows and think they were shooting everybody. They were shooting, yeah, you got the tanks, a hell of a lot of tanks coming, and not many soldiers coming after because they learned that soldier on foot. They don't get the chance because they're always shooting them. So tanks come in and shoot everything up. After that, a big army come in. Old, huge, hell of a lot of army come in. So that's it. I seen them all. They come in. But as, as the, the armies uh, wasn't to... When the army come in, the Russian armies, well, they don't do much. You know, it wasn't revenge, I would say, but after that, when we come out, after that, the revenge started by the Hungarian government, the puppet government, you see, that's what it was. Because we was coming out, uh, I come into uh, this country in 
January 1957, January, but I was in Austria, Austria for in the camp, all over Hungary, I went to Austria because like Austria-Hungary, I'm more like everybody go to Austria, see. But uh, after that, it's just I heard, and I got a lot of books, how many people have uh, been hanged and shot. Oh, I got all the 4,000 uh, at Helmer book. And most, a lot of them was apprentices like me, been shot. Because they were under suspicion that they'd been fighting yeah. on the side oh, of the they, revolution. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of people been shot. Could you in any way stay in contact with people that were still in Hungary, or was that impossible? Well, for me, yeah? Yeah. No, I could, I could send the letters straight away, but, but I can't go home. You're not allowed to home. Or we could send letters in there. I don't know what it is. Because the second, this communist government, Kardagam, wasn't so Bolshevik like a government before that. Because they, I think they learned something that you can't keep a people down. And there was uh, not only that, <coughs> the Russians have sent a hell of a lot of money in to help the economy. See, my Russians was Russians was frightened about uh, if anything happened somewhere else, so they kept the Hungarian sweet. So in 1968, I, I, I was a British subject and. They let me on with any problem at all. And it was a communist government then, but... Right. A revolution done something good because they... they wasn't, it wasn't any AVO, it wasn't any security police. It was freer than before. Because I think a whole government afraid of... For, for another revolution, whatever it was. I wouldn't have happened, but they are... It was more free. And of course, the Russians understand that, and they they do. I don't do financially or something, but Russia's a big country helped. I I think I don't know, but that was much better after the revolution. Well, I I've read that Hungary became more of a liberal communist country. But did you did you say that you were able to you you became a British citizen and therefore you were able to visit Hungary in 1968? Yes, yes, and my wife. And your daughter. And, and my daughter. <laughs> yes, we are uh, uh, visited, yeah. We used to go for a month, no problem at all. And what, what was that like, being, you know, going back for the first time in 15 years? It was it was very good, very nice, and uh, nice to see the people was free. As I said, they wasn't afraid for nobody. We was going to the pubs, drinking or singing. The people wasn't afraid. That's what it is. Say what they like, but they wasn't afraid. Anything just there. And that's what the revolution done for him that made him a bit freer. Yeah. Only thing you have to change. You know, when I was going, we're going home by car, you see. And there's a hell of a lot of Hungarian come to the West in Europe. And, you know, on the border, queuing up to go into Hungary, you've got to have a visa, of course, we've got to have a visa. We have to have any, every 
person that you have to change, I think, a hundred, yes, a hundred, hundred pounds. So me and my wife have to say two hundred pounds. We had enough money there, we couldn't spend it. <laughs> but everybody has to, I remember the big chest, the tea chest, they're full of um, foreign monies. And we had foreign. But foreign was so sort of a, we just can't spend those, so, so, so much foreign. Because thing was cheaper there, see. As it was, thing was cheaper than, uh, well, I mean, the pint of beer was cost, I don't know, that, that was it. Pennies. A shilling or something, oh, shilling, <laughs> something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I went to Poland and Czechoslovakia in the early 1980s, and yeah, yeah it was such a cheap holiday. It was, it, it was incredible. Can I just ask you about how you got to to Austria? So you say you got there in, in 1957, so you... You stayed in Hungary for a few months and then realised that you needed to get out. Well, fifty-seven, a couple of yeah, couple of weeks. Well, we, well, we, well, we uh, come to the to, to the train up to there, and from there we walk. We walked through there, walked all the way, and uh, I think it always oh, was snowing. I remember snow, big snow. Can I just ask you, you got the train from where? From Turek Barland? Yeah, to to Jir. And how far is that from the Austrian border? Oh, I don't know, 100 kilometres or something. So you had to walk the 100 yeah. kilometres into Austria? Well, that took about three or four days, like, and then uh, it was, but it was a bit difficult, and because there's a Russian troops about, and we can only go all night. And we got to village to village anyway. We got to Austria, so with any problem. And where, where did you where did you stay? Did the villagers, you know, put you up, or where did you sleep overnight? Yes, villagers put us up. Yeah, because a lot of people go in, not just <laughs> the villagers say, oh, "Stay, come in, stay in," and you know, no no problem at all. Feed us uh, everything. We stayed about three or four days in one house in Sentishman Farway, yeah, not far from a border. And we just over there. They tell us where to go, where is the minefield, but, but the minefield was a bit what you call it. So tell us which way you go or the night. So we went through, no problem at all. You make this sound so easy, whereas I think to be walking through snow a hundred kilometers <laughs> is is not an easy an easy thing to do oh no 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 oh no i can tell you though my father's response to most major catastrophes tends to be <laughs> small potatoes i think after you've been through what he's yeah. been through some major you know he cut his thumb off and wrapped it up in a tea towel and <laughs> took it to my friend and it was all a bit it's all small potatoes yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. angela i mean the, this is such a such an incredible story so how did you know that you'd crossed into austria what was that moment like well i think it was a well a flag flag it was an austrian put flags past and it was a small brook a small river don't know what was the river name. And after we left the minefield, we gone over this uh, river and uh, going 
the couple of couple of hundred yards, it was Austrian flag, and there's Austrian uh, border guards. See, they don't say anything. They said, "Go that way." He said, "No, no, go that way." So, you know, they don't uh, don't bother you. So, he said, "Ah, Hungarian, go that way, go that way." <laughs> and we went to this camp where all all the refugees was there. And from there, and fair play, from there, uh, immediately two days, we have been put in hotels around there. The Red Cross paid. I remember that my hotel paid by the Danish Red Cross. Great, we had 20 shillings the week and all food, everything. And from there, and I'll, after that, uh, end of our once I, the British come in and said, I, I want to go to America, but uh, the, they won't fly because it was too snow. So I said, oh, I won't stay now. I said, I'll come to Britain. Britain said, if you come to Britain, you can go to the colonies. What colonies there? Coast, corner everywhere. So I said, we go to Britain. So we come to Britain and a lot of us stayed in. It's very random how I became. I, sh- I should have gone to America. I should have gone to the colonies. And then when he got to Britain, he got stuck on one bus because three buses were going to coal fields. Yes, a lot of them were. Yes, got a lot of them gone to South Africa. That's where it's Canada, Australia. My brother gone to Australia, actually. Yeah, but, but that was My brother has come after the revolution, I think. So, did you end up using your engineering apprentice as a as a job in the UK? Yes, yeah. I I was in. I was working in. Uh, but this is very random how we ended up here. It because, is uh, but, in in the factory, British Airway Corporation or something. It was. Then from that, we, I went to Tyson for for a couple of years as engineer, and then oh, I worked about five, six, seven. Of companies, you know, in a tool room or things like that. But I worked in the same place uh, first when Hugh's father was working there, but I never know him. He was my husband. Right. <laughs> His son in law. Okay. Okay. And so your parents were still living in, in Hungary, were they? Yes, yes, yes. And so were you, were you sending them money or parcels? No. Or? No? no, nothing, nothing at all. I take. I was taking present because after that I was going out every every other year. Every other year, we driving over there, driving till nineteen eighty two. Was driving, and after that I forget. It's, it's too much. Yeah, I was flying, flying every year and taking present. But and they come over here visiting. You know, it wasn't a problem. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, 
As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. But in the early days, I remember when we used to go out, my mother used to buy reams and reams of material. To, yeah. from, I used to go to the market to take, like, really, you know, like industrial amount of material yeah, to, for right. people to make clothes. Making clothes. So she would take, I remember her taking the, the loads. Good, of, good materials, because the material that they're making out there is, you know, which was... Uh, but then she pilfered them of all their antiques that they were throwing out. So she took all the antiques they were throwing out as rubbish from the old farmhouses that she used to bring that back. Right. Oh, I remember I was telling I, I got a, I got in the garage a uh, branding iron, huh? a branding iron for cows and, and sheep. Things like this was a, um, I don't know if you can see it here. Yeah. Is it like, is it a washing? Um, mango, yeah. Yeah, it's just a mango thing. They're sure they're all throwing out as rubbish, but my mother, you know, it's all, it's in carved and everything. Oh, my mother, that's lovely. Yeah, she, she, she. Right. Yeah, mustn't forget I got the branding iron because we had a big farm, you see. And we had branding iron from my grandfather. I still got two of them. Wow. Wow. And Angela, are there, are there any other stories that we've that we've not covered, do you think? Um you usually have to have him a few drinks before he lets he tells any stories. <laughs> what about there was something about a boy? When we got to London all these uh, Hungarian, we were a big hotel, and all the Hungarian were put all over the Britain. Bosses come in, he said, Scotland is there, and my name was on the bus to come to South Wales. There's only one bus coming in South Wales, the rest of them gone. And there's uh, a young boy was with us, about 14. And as uh, soon as we landed up in Tell you what, in Horton they call it a, it was a minus hostel we've been put into because all the poles was there and before we sorted out. And now there, I don't know, somebody coming that he can't stay here. And that boy been adopted straight away in Pontypridd. There's a couple come there, they adopted, all 14 he was. He come back many a time, but... I never know he, why is how he come there, but he was fourteen year old boy come from over the Danube somewhere. Never ask him how he come, but they adopted him and schooled him. A couple who hasn't had no children, Pontypridd, they come and stayed away and take him because he was fourteen, so wasn't allowed to stay with her. I do remember when I was I was growing up that he was sent, which he wanted to get to Glencorrook. Mm-hmm. So he was sent, how many years had you been there when you went there? Where? Glencorrook. Oh, I spent about two, but, but two I, years. Yeah, yeah so they, they basically sent him, who spent, you know, learned his English from cowboy movies, and they sent him to Glencorrook, which is a, basically a one val, one road in town. Yeah. My auntie nothing was out. Here. Nothing out. And he, at the furthest bit, where they speak Welsh... So I always remember him going back to visit my auntie Beatty, his, his landlady he used to stay with, and she still kept in touch, and her son kept in touch. Yeah. So you still see her son comes to visit yeah, all these years later. She's dead now. But no, well, she's dead yeah, now. But, but they sent them into the bloody middle of nowhere. 
Yeah. With you know, and you know, as he said, he got onto it, integrated. Oh but, yeah. But and then the biggest thing he never never taught me Hungarian. Well, it's a difficult language, you see. I mean, it's uh, I know Hungarian, see, to uh, Hungarian is married to Hungarian. It is still a children is not not uh, speaking yeah. properly. Yeah. I know, I know it's a difficult language because it's. I think it's in the same family of languages as Finnish as well. Yeah. Finnish and Estonian. And all my family Estonia now. Yeah. and Finland is the same. Right. But honest to God, I, uh, what I say, I, they say is that uh, I've been talking to the Finns and, you know, I mean, how we get together. Do you know the, the words, what we, we, same words, about thousand years ago, a sun, a moon, a common, sit down, and horse, a cow, the <laughs> same. Yeah, I didn't but, know that. Yeah, but uh, a sword and a knife, things like this. But when you speak into the Finn and the Estonian, you can hear their accent is the same as mine, or a, you got the same accent. Mm. I don't know how it comes definitely, but because when I seen a, a, a woman on holiday, one of the, the Finnish couple there, they were talking to English, to uh, to the English fellow. I said, "That's very Hungarian." No, he said, "We Finnish." Now I said, "That's that's it." Yes, they speak as as he was. A, I thought he was a Hungarian. Yeah. Right. My my dad, my dad apparently. Obviously, I don't know this, but my cousins tell me he's got very old-fashioned Hungarian accent because where he came from, he's from the lowlands, where the family of the land. So when he left, he still had sort of, I suppose, like in Wales, we have different Welsh, South Walian and North Walian Welsh. Mm. It's just like Britain. Yeah, but he's got very old-fashioned Hungarian. And then he's got a a Welsh Cymru Magyar accent. So it's (laughs) quite... (laughs) Yeah. It is where I'm in, down there, I'm in everywhere. We wasn't backwards down in the land, but it was all farm. But, but he, he came from a very well, we've seen when they were farmers, they had like a summer house and they had servants and they, you know, so they came from, when I used yeah. to go back when I was little, so from the age of four, mm. we'd go to the, the lowlands where he came from and, you know, you'd meet these little ladies who come in and kiss in his hands because they'd been employed to be the woman who rocked his cradle when he was little or wow. the woman who was sewing his clothes. So they had all these you know, servants. My, wi- my wife can't understand it when she's going to everybody got and kissing her hands. She was there. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Leave it, leave it. <laughs> because that's what they that's what they bought up. You so know. he but so they went but my grandmother, uh who his mother obviously, had had gone from being which is I find is you know, his story is in, is impressive, but she went from basically being a woman who had servants and you know, all fineries and, and was in carriages. And when they stuck them into Turk Barland, she, if you've seen the house, because we went back to the original house. Well, it was in the stable. Two, it was basically yeah. stable. It was two rooms. Yeah. It was... Um, stable we was living in. It was, it was basically two rooms with a mud floor. So when we went back there, so she'd gone from living the, the life of, being a you know a, a you know rich you know well off family yeah to to living in you know abject poverty really living in mud and shit and then um, the only thing we had work work yeah and she and uh, she became then she, I remember when she she was a um, cleaner in the Hilton Hotel in yeah. Budapest and yeah. the, crane, the 
cream to fame is a picture of her with Richard Burton because she was a cleaner and she, she'd met Richard Burton. But she went, you know, all she had, I had like a pair of earrings from her that they'd gone from such riches and, and she never, never whinged. She, she was an amazing woman, Nana. Well, we was, you know, uh, where we went to this place, Sturrebar, it is where, you know, in Hungary, in Hungary was a, so a multicultural, I must be German, see. We was Germans, uh, hell of a village, a town's German. Now, when the uh, war was finished, the Hungarian government asked him, if you want to Germany, you go to Germany. Don't force them, but a lot of them went to Germany. And then this particular village they called, it was most of a German. So the Germans got so, and put the Hungarians in from a lowland or whatever. And uh, all we, we left is a stable <laughs> to yeah. go into. Oh, you got to drop some German stables. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, they went from having a really, and they didn't appreciate it till later when you see the, the land and everything that they, you know, and the, the summer houses and the servants that they had, that, you know, that they they just thrown yeah. down to Torek Barland. And, you know, but then they, they rebuilt their lives. They got on with it and... But I... When communism ended in in Hungary, was any of that property restored back to the family? Half of it, right? Half of it. Um, so I'm not even well. Half of it, really. But I had uh, I had some, you know, and I bought some. But it's. Uh, we got a couple of hectares of land out there, so there's no problem on that. But. He's very sentimental. So there was three brothers, him and two younger brothers, mm-hmm. and then the government gave them back this land. But then one brother was in Australia. What the hell is he going to do with it? And the other brother didn't want to do farm. So he bought the land because he's, as I said, quite sentimental. They wanted they wanted money, so I bought it. And, and for you know, the amount of money he had, comparable in Britain, still much richer then than there. So he's got quite a tidy bit of land, which our cousins farm out there. But it's, that, that was quite important to him because it was all yeah. land and his grandson. I don't know what he thinks his grandson, who's 26 and is doing finance in Britain, is going to do with it. But <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's, it's another nostalgic thing. See, uh, uh, we had, uh, you know, after the First World War, a lot of people died and uh, a lot of children was, uh, after the First World War, was out of father and mother. And my grandfather, when he, he come back from a first world war, you take all these uh, children in, whose father and... And we had two, uh, one girl and one boy, Rosica, and working for us, see? And one was uh, driving a carriage, another one was uh, helping in the kitchen. And anyway, when they got married there and... And they had children, and uh, my grandfather was got a big walnut uh, tree out, and when I born, he made me a cradle. And one of this daughter, she was about six, and she had twenty penny to rock in my cradle all uh, cradle all the time. Now, I, I still see her every year. I go in to see her taking the chocolate. And, oh, in the nursing home? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I still see her. And 
she's well, she's uh, what five year older than me or something. We live still in the in the original in the original village where he's yeah, from. Yeah. Wow. Um, where we have to go to see the set. We never. I live next door to a crematorium. Here. We never visit Odeji, but when we go to Hungary, my God, <laughs> you know, visit every cemetery, even the dead Russian soldiers. But she lives in this really nice, much nicer um, elderly retirement place. And we got here, I gotta say, on the edge of the village. So he goes to visit her and um, has a cherry brandy and gives she, her chocolates. She, she, she rocked in my cradle when I was a baby. Oh, that is a that's a lovely story. Yeah, and she's still about. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. so Charlie, when when you think back to that that time in in 1956 what what would you say is the most memorable thing that you remember from then 1956 what do you mean in the war yeah in the the uprising the most most surprising was when when i come in home from work and uh, as a number 13 tram i got number 13 number four uh, go to number 49 and we get at the number 13 and is that those big uh, lorries was there with full of machine gun and guns and things? I suppose just surprised me. That's all. I mean, I, I can't, can't believe it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that was a surprise in there. You know, I nearly Nobody expects <laughs> to go to work at 6 a.m. and come home and have to fight the revolution. But when we, when we went to the number 49, no, number 52, going to the, to, towards uh, toward the station. The tram was full with several people with machine guns, grenade and things, and everybody, uh, white, red, right, arm banning, everybody. Oh, we kill them all, we kill them all. Well, you know, I mean, not me, but everybody. Oh, we must kill them all. Did you have an arm band? I don't have a man. I, I, is that why they nearly, I, How did they nearly shoot? Is that why they nearly shot you? Yes. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's. Uh, you should have had a bloody armband, Dad. But uh, I don't have. Uh, was it in the armband? I had machine gun, but no, I'm not armband. Armband, you know. That was your downfall. Oh, because I was at, I was the first to get into the radio station. Anyway, one of the first. I mean, you you mentioned the 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 shooting where you were really close to that um, AVH uh, yeah. guy. Um, was that two of them? Two of them. Two uh, of them, and you know, you know t- what? Uh, two of those AVA jump out, grab hold of me and give himself up, but opposite to the big building, now full of revolution, he shot him dead. Yeah. Now, if you go to the Brodishander sit statue for those two two uh, AV guards statue in the wall for them. They died for a, that's a communist put it up there for them. See, and there's a yeah that's still but after there. the revolution because they was they was sacrificed. No, they give him himself up, but it should nothing to do with me. But they all his brain was in my shoulder, you know. But I mean, didn't you show me the bullet hole where the Oh yeah. Where we went back because they still got the bullet holes all over Budapest, and and we went back to uh, that's the bullet hole. And he was quite indignant that they shot them because they could have killed him. <laughs> no, they wasn't. They was giving himself up. But what what were upsetting? I could have killed. Yeah. From from them, and he said we can shut. I said, I why? 
you know, I mean, it's uh, how rude. Um, and was was that probably the most scariest situation you got into? Yeah, that, I yeah. think that was a, a, what you call that was that was un, you know unexpected. I don't know what to do with this two hours, you know, just come in and uh, get himself up, and all of a sudden, both of them shot dead together, and I was standing there like a turkey. <laughs> yeah. You you were very lucky that your comrades were good shots. Yeah, well, good, yeah, could good be shots. missed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. Well, I've taken a, a lot of your time, but I really appreciate you, you know, telling me your story. That's been so interesting. And as I said to you at the start, I've always wanted to speak to somebody who was, you know, involved in the Hungarian uprising, and you were definitely there. I was there, and. <laughs> Um, you know, the difficulty has always been is finding somebody who can speak to me in English. Um, and, and you're able to do it in English and Welsh, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what, it's been really nice, actually, because we do get him after a few drinks. He'll, he'll tell stories. But, you know, you'd swear to God, nothing, as I said, small potatoes. And it's nice. And things like I didn't know about, what you know, things like... My 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 grand my son's girlfriend suddenly asked a lot of questions you don't think to ask like because you lived with him you don't think to like questions what happened to your machine gun what happened you know it, I never asked him these questions it's lovely to to hear the to to hear the answers yeah yeah no absolutely and listen Angela I really appreciate you answering my my tweets and uh, <laughs> and, and, and getting me to uh, speak to Charlie it, it's been a it's been an absolute honour. And we have further information such as videos and links in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast without the generous support of our patrons. However, I want to especially thank our Politburo level members who are contributing a generous 30 US dollars a month to keep us on the air. They are Tony Sowards, Sam Hardwick, Nicholas Butter, Jeffrey Jones, Matthew Comstock, Frederick Esposito, and Peter Ryan. Don't forget, if you like one of those Cold War Conversations coasters and help support the show, then head over to coldwarconversations.com donate. If you can't wait for the next episode, please visit our Facebook discussion group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information